0: Spurs in full cry here. Look at that!
1: Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and a man who yells, Vamos! every time he produces sizzling video analytics. It's Nathan A. (laughs) Clark. Hello, Nathan.
2: (laughs) That is, once again, a factually accurate statement.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't mess about with these. They're all they're all fact checked. <laughs> uh, straight into it today, boys. We've got limited time and lots to cover. Uh, Brighton, we won. Happy days. Uh, as usual, we'll start off with our reaction to the lineup. I, I think I'm getting kind of used to what lineup is going to be selected now. I'd say the only controversial pick potentially was was Lemenna for Lucas Bardi, What do you think when you saw that uh, that that eleven and of course the sub
0: Yeah, it was pretty much. Other than that one position, it was pretty much off. First choice starting eleven. Um, I thought the subs bench was interesting that uh, Vinicius wasn't there. I know he didn't Ooh. do great in Belgium, but I, I thought he still warranted a a place on the bench. Delhi not being there is is no longer a big surprise. It's, it's almost not a talking point. No Delhi is is not a surprise. But I, I was happy with the lineup. I it was kind of after we saw what team he took to Belgium. To be honest with you, we knew he was going to go big for this game. So yeah, as expected, no no drama there.
1: So, Nathan, the only thing with the bench that I thought maybe he got wrong was that we could perhaps have had... Just Ben Davis, and not Ben Davis, Ben Davis and Joe Roden, because potentially Davis could cover centre back in extreme circumstances, and that would have allowed Vinicius to be on the bench or or Delhi to be on the bench. What did you think?
2: No, uh, the problem, what the mistake you're making there is that you're not realising that Delhi and Vinicius and Sanchez and Aurea and I think there's still one more that I've forgotten from that list are are written off. They're <laughs> they're not to be included in future squads. What, what's the phrasing? It's an easy choice. It's an obvious choice now. So there are we, we're selling them in january so obviously they're not they're not applicable for selection anymore
1: fine yeah okay um this match was was slightly odd we started we started pretty well i thought uh on the front foot it looked positive for the first sort of 10 maybe 15 minutes we were we were getting into some good areas the final ball wasn't there certainly and i thought son in particular was was quite wasteful not just in the first 10 minutes but throughout but then things really kind of turned a bit and we didn't have control of the game then for long periods, but at the same time, Brighton, although were playing very well, weren't really creating chances either. Um, there's a lot to talk about in terms of the decisions, but we'll, we'll come back to those. Let's start off with the, the opposing styles first. But did you think that this was a case of Spurs having Brighton at arm's of length, or was it simply that Brighton had no striker on the pitch and therefore unable to finish any uh, promising moments they had?
0: I don't know. It, it was a confusing game because we we looked so good and we looked so in control. And I thought we were. I thought we were going to blow him out of the water. And I thought we'd be after we scored the penalty. I thought I thought that was it. And I thought it would be cruise would cruise through the rest of the game. But you got to give credit to Brighton. Um, I want to know what Nathan thinks about us struggling for two games in a row versus a back three. That it seems to um, seems to be very easy to play through us when you have three centre backs and. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it was more to do with Brighton than us dropping off and str- trying to hit him on the counter. Nathan, you're a big fan of, of Graham Potter,
1: and I think... That, I mean, most people in the Premier League, most people who watch Premier League football these days appreciate what Graham Potter's doing because Brighton, for a club of of their fairly limited resources, do try and play football, um, air quotes, the right way. A bit like Swansea of, what, six, seven years ago under Martinez and and Rogers. Uh, They're playing good football, but are ultimately quite toothless and they're not getting the points perhaps that uh, their play deserves. What did you think of the the contrasting styles and and did you think that uh, Spurs? had Brighton where they wanted them
2: hmm. I'm not really sure um, I mean I missed a few of the opening minutes and then we got a penalty um, so w- you're saying it was more more even more back and forth in, in the opening period um, before the goal
1: Spurs definitely had some good moments in the okay. first few minutes Like we had some promising attacks we looked, we looked like we were imposing ourselves on the game
2: so after that, um, and then before the Brighton goal, I felt like um, we were happy to let Brighton have the ball. Um, Brighton were quite happy to have the ball. We wanted to sort of counter. Um, I thought Brighton did a really good job defensively um, in pressing us and and. and Cutting off our counters very well. I think we did a pretty good job of preventing them getting into the box. We sort of, we, we bent, but we didn't break. Um, so essentially, neither team were getting off anything attacking. Both teams are doing quite well defensively. Um, but uh, I mean, definitely, I felt like the pressure was mounting. Um, it's not shown up in the shots, it's not shown up in the expected goals. Um, I think they put up like 0.3 or something. Um, yeah, 0.3 expected goals, which is which would suggest a really impressive defensive performance. Um, at the time, it definitely felt like the goal when it came was inevitable. But perhaps that's just me being a Spurs fan and, and being pessimistic about not having the ball and all those kind of things. So perhaps what we had there was a strong defensive performance. It just didn't quite seem that way. Um, but there you go. Um, and then obviously, once the equalizer came in, we had to push for the game and, and, and wrestle the ball for a, a little more.
0: Yeah, it wasn't a um it wasn't a complete performance. I don't think we've seen a complete performance from Spurs this this season so far. We defended okay, they didn't really cause us any troubles, but we didn't really attack very well. So uh, I it's um I don't want to say it's a continuation from Burnley to Antwerp to this, but I'm I'm normally generally quite positive about it and I thought that I there are positive things to take from this. I'm a little bit concerned. I am a little bit concerned.
1: I think uh, I still think we're a team in transition, and I still think we're not that good yet. And I think we, we, we're, we've got some fabulous players, and I'm really excited about the squad. But I don't think we've gelled quite as a team yet. I think Mourinho's got some work to do to work out what he wants to to have this team doing stylistically. And I, I think we can improve a lot as the season goes on. And we've already got a good number of points on the board. That's the that's the really pleasing thing. Even when we're not playing well, the points are there. You know. The problem with the points being there is you get people saying, "Look how great Spurs are," and people get swept along in this sort of this sort of mood of Spurs are amazing; they're going to win the league. I think that that's not backed up by what we're seeing on the pitch right now. Um, and I disagree.
2: It's... Go on. I don't think we're we're great. I don't think we're incredible, but I think that the top spot is is open for oh, a, for sure. for, a, for a decent team, for an OK team, and we could have you know. Uh, you know what? For a, a season that compares to like the last five as sort of an okay one, and also win the league, and mm. it will say that we've won the league, and we'll get to celebrate winning the league. <laughs> you know, so um, I I really think it's that open. I think that the the gap between like first and seventh place <laughs> may not be very big. Um, and I just think that the the league is such a mess. Um, the fitness of the teams involved to such a mess. Maybe that will change towards the end of the season as things come together, uh, or maybe not. Um, so I, you know, we're not incredible, but we're good, and that might be enough to do something really quite special.
1: Yeah, we're definitely we're definitely good. I mean, any team that has the the, the quality in the final third that we do is is going to be good. They should be good. Uh, the defense is improving. You know, we've seen some improvements with Adaverald now reinstated at the back. I think that's that's brought about big improvements. Uh and Heer, who was voted man of the match on the on the Spurs official Twitter poll, uh has definitely helped us. And um, well actually yeah, body what did you make of that? Um Huybier Bardi being man of the match.
0: I, I don't think there was much else there. Had Kane tucked away that chance on the corner I think he would have walked away with it. But Heberger's he's been our best player by just being like almost like normal, just playing par, mm-hmm. he's he's got through it and done okay. He's he's done what he's been hired to do. And I think you know, I, do you remember when Wilson Palacios signed and then all of a sudden we were like, Oh my god, this is the greatest defensive midfielder ever because we just had team we'd just been looking at Tom Huddleston and um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. players like that trying to be defensive midfielders when all of a sudden as soon as you see a genuine one, you're like, My God, they stand out and perhaps that's a little bit why Wanyama stood out as well because with our track record of defensive midfielders hasn't been great. So now all of a sudden we have got Hojbjerg there, who's a very smart, very talented, very skillful player. We're looking at him, going, Jesus, he's like the new Deschamps or something. So it's um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like I like him. It's great. I am just concerned with someone so combative and someone who does get around the pitch, whether or not he's going to go injury free this season. Because when he went down for when hmm. he went down for an extended period, my my stomach went kind of like. When it does, when Kane goes down.
2: Also, when he went down for a few seconds, we immediately conceded that. That's that's how <laughs> reliant we are on Højbjerg. If he hits the ground, panic. Uh, I definitely, I definitely either underrated Højbjerg or underrated the impact having you know a genuine defensive midfielder would have on this team because he's really, really impressed me. I thought he would be, you know. Good, but not great. But he's 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 been pushing those boundaries. You know, he's, I mean, he's am- a
0: very solid player. It is amazing the effect that defensive midfielders have on on teams. Like all of a sudden. Um... When when Man United signed Matic under Mourinho, they were like, "Oh, it's the missing piece." When um, Arsenal go and sign Party, who's not really a defensive midfielder, but he's a he's a pretty decent centre midfielder. All of a sudden, everyone's like, "Oh my god, he's the missing piece." It's amazing how often we look at centre midfielders, and we think that completes, like Tom Cruise, "You complete me," and that kind of stuff. So for me, the
1: the thing with Huey Pierre is that he just reads the game so so effortlessly. He has such good anticipation. He's a really good football brain. He just knows what's going to happen, and he makes makes. Sure he's there to stop it happening, and that's a skill that is really missing in uh, in Winks and Sissoko, who are both yeah. quite reactive players. Uh, and I think that's made a huge difference. But also, he's playing in midfield with Ndombélé, and that makes a big difference as well. It's not just Chibier. I think that the presence of Ndombélé on a regular basis now is huge. Having said that, I thought this was by far Ndombélé's worst performance of the season. He he really struggled, and I just want to touch on the fact that he played. Pretty much as a ten again, uh, I was desperate for him to to drop deeper and start progressing the ball, uh, and then you start saying to who, but but I mean, I really wanted him to be the one getting the ball and moving it forward. Um, and I feel like his skill sets being a little wasted. What did you think, Nathan?
2: Uh, I mean, it's it's as much about our approach as as a team as it is than like the sort of the pieces, I guess. By which you mean? A conceding possession for so long. Right. Okay. I guess is um, although there's also you can say that gives them space to counter into but it's like well it comes back to how well Brighton pressed
1: us um yeah, <laughs> they, 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 I mean, I was really impressed. I was really impressed by Brighton, not just their their work off the ball, but their work on the ball. They work really well as a team to um, have good spacing between their players so that there's always someone there to pick up a pass if a player gets sort of backed into a corner. They've got clever players in Trossard and Pascal Gross and Adam Lallana who are really good at taking the ball in the half turn yeah. and and finding passes between the lines. And receiving the ball between the lines. And that bodes well for them. I think they're a really good team. Lamptey on the right was upstanding. And when he went off, basically all of their threat was gone. And it was really noticeable. Um, they definitely lacked some cutting edge without Neil Mapay. I'm, I'm wondering what's gone on there and, and why he wasn't playing. I'm intrigued by that story. But yeah, really good, um, impressive showing from from Brighton. So
2: 5.38, who are going to be very busy today and tonight. Um, they also run Premier League. Stats and they they are the only place I'm aware of that publicise any sort of non-shot expected goals data. So non-shot is like um, they measure sort of possession, sure, but like where the possession is, they measure box entries, they measure sort of players receiving the ball in certain locations, um, transitions, all that kind of thing uh, to produce a non-shot expected goals. I'm not the biggest uh sort of believer in in the brilliance of non-shot expected goals um and i don't know their exact methodology obviously um but they they gave brighton 1.2 in in non-shot expected goals um which they only converted into 0.3 in terms of actual shots Um, what
1: what did they give us start interest nathan
2: uh they gave so 2.1 shots expected goals, and they gave us 0.7 in non-shots. So we, uh, the bad news, I'm afraid, lads, is that we lost. And I know you'll be <laughs> devastated to hear this. We lost the non-shot expected goals. If you could tweet that out, I think people would really be interested to hear that, wouldn't they? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I think I'll pass on that one. I think, I'll,
0: I
1: think I'll pass on that one.
0: That could really trigger Coy's Twitter. That would really, that would really <laughs> set a cat amongst the pigeons. pigeons. Um, I've got, a, I've got a, f- a fear for Brighton. And I think I think the way they set up it was very easy for them to control the ball with they've got three defenders and essentially they've got everybody else as a bloody midfielder. So they've always have options. They've got loads of bodies in there. But I also think also think it's a bit cowardly. Maybe they don't have they don't have another striker to play, but playing that many midfielders. So if you don't control the ball with that many midfielders, then forget about it. You might as well pack up and give up as a football team. So I think they're gonna have to change <laughs> change how they play because they're not picking up the points and if they continue like this they'll go down because Burnley would sort themselves out Sheffield United who are awful as well they'll sort themselves out but um yeah to play to play eight midfielders is it's an easy cop-out and that won't keep them in this division
1: couple more things I want to cover let's start off with the controversies so we had I would say two quite majorly bad decisions in this Firstly there was the penalty not given for Dotty's foul. Uh which I thought was fairly like I, I I thought it was definitely gonna be given. I was really surprised it wasn't given. What did you both think? And did either of you disagree with that? Did you think it was, was fine? Did he let go just in time?
0: I think he let go just in time had he held on for a fraction of a second more it was a penalty I think he 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 was within that kind of buffer zone that you can hold on to someone for just you know sometimes when you cuddle someone there's that amount of time you just need to you need to let go and he let go just in time
1: I I think what you mean by that is when you cuddle someone I I mean I definitely don't hold on too long Uh, Nathan what do you think
2: Notorious brief hugger, Chris Whitney Miller. <laughs> uh well before we talk about Doherty, you've skipped the first controversial decision, you Ooh. coward. Yeah, yeah. I mean I didn't
1: think that was controversial, but you do.
2: It's it's extremely controversial all over Twitter is is Kane's tendency to back in to aerial challenges and, and, and see himself get fouled. People non-SPurs fans are extremely extremely upset with this very dangerous play there's a word for it in rugby. Is it tunneling where the bridge
0: you... is it bridging my dad my dad who I'm living with at the moment, calls it bridging okay well let's call it bridging
2: <laughs> where you where you stand underneath a jumping player for, causing them to fall over, giving them no ability mm-hmm. to land and then and then Kane goes down with them and uh, and won us a penalty. Right on the edge of the box. How do you do? You, do you have any feelings <laughs> that you would like to publicize about that at all?
1: I I genuinely didn't realize this was a thing that it was mm, such a, a big controversy. Um, mm. That shows. I mean, I've really cut down on my social media usage, which has been wonderful, by the way. Yeah, you're um, showing us the
2: pros right here, to be honest. <laughs> yeah,
1: I honestly didn't realize that was a thing. I didn't think there was anything remotely controversial about that penalty call. It was to me. I mean, I've only seen it a couple of times live. Uh, it looked like a clear foul. Uh, from my perspective, uh Kane definitely had a look at Lalana's positioning, mm-hmm. backed in, didn't know when Lalana had left the ground. don't think there was any kind of uh, intent there to sort of get under him when he was in the air. It was more that he was just creating uh, grounding for himself to receive the ball. And therefore, when the foul came, he, he hit the deck. I thought that was mm. fine. I'm, yeah, I, maybe I'm off the mark on that, but perhaps I need to watch it again. Bardi, any thoughts?
0: Um, I, I thought it was definitely a free kick but then everything always changed when you look at it in, a, in the kind of context of a penalty um, Kane was smart he, he, won, he won that and I do think it was a foul I do think it was a foul, but I can see why it's triggered some parts of Twitter because he does have a history of of doing this and allowing people to jump over the top of him to claim a foul.
2: He uh, he got I don't know if he got booked, but he he had a foul awarded against him when he did this before to Cresswell and got underneath Cresswell as Cresswell was jumping and then went down. It's a thing he does, and I I I I'm somewhat sympathetic to to fans' anger. The the problem is. Um, It's not about Kane, right? The problem is opposition fans going, Kane's a terrible person, I hate him, and all this sort of animosity, which we're going to have to come back to and talk about in a little bit as well, aren't we? But um, the problem is not an individual player. The problem is the rules. The problem is the practice of the rules, which is awarding fouls based on sort of the aesthetic outcome of (laughs) things, which is, oh, this player has landed underneath, therefore he has been fouled. Um, Probably, I would say there needs to be a specific rule against bridging or whatever you want to call it. And then that gives us a foundation to work from that says you can't move underneath players when they're jumping. Now, this is this whole, that's a contentious thing because it's like, when is it? When isn't it? When is this player jumped into this player? How do you ever avoid that situation in a game where two players are allowed to compete for a ball in the air, etc.? cetera. Um, but regardless of the specifics this is the shortcoming in the rule and for as long as it is makes sense for players like Kane because he's definitely not the only one who does it I promise you that as long as it makes sense for players like Kane to do this uh it will be the smartest thing they can do so the issue is in the rules and not with the player as always
0: Ashley yeah. Barnes has made a Premier League living out of doing this but no one ever <laughs> no one go. ever talks about him
1: yeah, it's, it's. I mean, yeah,
0: I, I really didn't realise it was anything like
1: the, the controversy that it clearly is. Uh, I, I guess the, thing, the other thing to note is that a player does always look somewhat guilty when they have a look at the opponent's position before positioning themselves. But actually, that's just it's, it's something we encourage regularly. You know, Nathan, when you're doing your analytical <laughs> videos, you love the fact that players are scanning, they're checking who's around them. Not yep. you know not specifically for this purpose, but we we want our players to know where their opponents are uh, and Kane has done that he's he's worked out where the is he's worked out where he is he realizes that he's the one that's between the and the ball and to get to the ball the Laner's gonna have to go through Kane and he does go through Kane and therefore it is a foul <laughs> that's the way I say you're right that the rules perhaps need to be looked at if, if that is a if that is deemed something that's dangerous uh then yeah absolutely okay so so the dotty one. Do we agree? I mean, I, Nathan, what do you think? Bardi thinks it perhaps wasn't a penalty. I think it was a penalty. Nathan, are you somewhere in the middle? I missed the replay, so I, I no comment. Okay, fair it, enough.
0: Fair it, enough. It can't be a penalty. It can't be a penalty. It's it was too brief a hold. The ball, the, you know, they're jostling the ball. The ball's not even within range yet. So they're just moving across, trying to get into position. If the ball is about to come to him and then he gets yanked back or pulled away out of the way, then then it's a penalty. But at that moment. Moment with people otherwise you'd have a penalty every single corner it's, it's yeah no it's not a penalty you let go just in time so I, th- I think they need to start giving penalties every single corner there was a, a time a couple <laughs> you of- want more penalties there's already like 10 every weekend I, I,
1: I want more penalties over the course of two weeks um and then fewer penalties forevermore. Basically, I want defenders to um, not hold opposition players. I think holding and pulling shirts or limbs is, is not... It shouldn't be legal. You know, I, I just don't. I just don't think it's necessary or, or should be legal. I think Doughty uh, had a very guilty look on his face because he he knew that he deliberately tried to stop someone making a, a free movement towards the ball in the penalty area, which I think is a penalty. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I mean, again, like Nathan, I would like to see it again to be a hundred percent sure. But to me, at the time, I thought this is uh, this is definitely being given. I, I was shocked it wasn't. Um, but yeah, there we go. Let's move on to the final one, which is uh the, the one that's created, I thought, the the biggest uproar, and that is the the foul on Hui in the lead up to Lamptey's goal. So so there was a foul in in, in um in Brighton's possession play on Hui Uh then there's some other play, uh Really and, nice other play. The really nice other play, which leads to Lamptey's chance being created and he tucks it away. And I just sort of almost forgot about the fact that there might have been a potential foul because it was quite a few seconds later that the ball ended up in the back of the net. But And then you see VAR is checking possible foul. Uh, Graham Scott, who's the referee, is called to go and have a look at the monitors and make a judgment call as to whether it is indeed a foul. Now, I'm interested, do either of you know, at that point, does this sort of threshold for clear and obvious error come into play? I don't think that that comes into
2: play at all anymore. I think this is a lie that was sold to us and is, is irrelevant. The, the right. video assistant referee says, I think you need to look at this foul. I think it's a foul. Uh, the referee, Scott, goes and has a look at it. Um, and then, for the first time in Premier League history, rules against the VAR and sticks with his own ruling. And he looks at it for a long time he from did, multiple he angles. He really, really wanted to. And he finds contact. He finds the softest. The ball brushes. The underside mm-hmm. heel cushioning of... I can't even remember the Brighton player who it was. Uh, their boots. Is it Basuma? No. Um, just sort of, yeah. There's there's the softest. you know millimeter upon millimeter crossover of contact on the ball, which has no change on the ball's trajectory. Um, and so he we we once again made history. Uh, <laughs> congrats, we've done it again, boys. Um, and so the, the referee sticks with his initial call which is that it's not a foul. Uh, he has not been given a Premier League game this weekend. Um, Spurs fans are incredibly, incredibly upset with him. Uh, because it's obviously a foul, isn't it?
1: It is obviously a foul. I what? mean, it's I... it's a foul because, as you said, even if he does touch the ball... Uh... Even if he does make the slightest graze on the ball, which I don't yeah. think we know for certain, I think it, it kind of in one still image it looked like that might be the case. And he certainly said to Kane, "I think he's got the ball." That's what he said as he, he mouthed to Kane as he as he walked away from the incident. okay. I missed that. Yeah. Mm. Um, even if he's got the slightest graze on the ball, he's he's taken the player to the ground and not actually changed the course of action of of you know he's not mo- he's not diverted the ball, he's not gained control of the ball, he's not taken control of the ball away from the player by any other means than taking the player to the ground, and therefore it should be called as a foul.
2: Um, what you're saying is that Ericsson scored that goal,
1: and it wasn't Kane's that one time, you remember? No, <laughs> 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 I know what you're trying to say, and I sort of agree with what you're trying to say, but I don't think getting the ball always means not a foul. Okay, uh, sure. Mean, sure. If- And I think in this instance, he doesn't cleanly take the ball in a way that changes the impact on the play. And he definitely does take the player down in a way that impacts on the play. I think it's a foul.
2: What does it say in the rules about... The degree of contact on the ball.
1: It's a very good question. I presume nothing.
2: (laughs) I believe. I presume you presume correctly. Right.
1: So are you saying? Are you saying then you think it's not a foul?
2: I don't think it's clear whether or not it's a foul based on the rules as they're written and practiced.
1: So that's what I was getting at about the clear and obvious threshold. Because what I was about to if if the clear and obvious threshold comes into play, then Graham Scott is well within his rights to say I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. And therefore, (laughs) it's not a clear and obvious error. And therefore the gold stands.
0: Yeah. That's that's where I am with this. That's um VAR said look if you have I, I think when the referee goes to, to check the monitor VAR is saying look this is something that we think you might want to have a second opinion or second view of mm-hmm. and the referee's gone and he's looked at it and he's, he's I mean the weird thing is where as he's looking at the screen you could see him actually in the image you can see how close he was to it and at mm-hmm. the time he thought it wasn't a foul and he, when he watched it back the second time and the fifth time he was just like I don't think it was a foul and I don't I mean I don't mind I'm not a huge fan of VAR currently I Used I was, but not the not the moment. And I don't mind it being used like that. If he still believes that he got the ball, then I think it's fair enough to to award the goal, even if it is against Spurs.
1: Yeah, I, I'm. I agree. I think that's a very reasonable way of looking at it. But I did think it was a foul, and I think he should have called it the first time round. Yeah. Um. I mean, it's a really interesting point that that Nathan's sort of provocatively getting at there because. <laughs> There are lots of different instances in football. Like, for example, when you see Offside obstruction, yeah. yeah, when you see obstruction happen, particularly defenders like you know marshalling the ball out for a, a goal kick. You know, there there are so many little grey areas like that where the rules don't help, um, and you don't need to touch the ball necessarily, uh, or if you do touch the ball, that's enough in some instances. So yeah, it, the referees in a very difficult position, and I think the I think the fact that he hasn't been given a, a Premier League game this weekend is grossly unfair if it is anything to do with this because he, he, the rules put him in a difficult position. He's trying to uphold some sort of standard which isn't really clear uh, and has been given a, a very challenging situation to deal with. They should be supporting their referees. Really, um, I didn't feel that salty about it though because <laughs> because I thought the Dotty one was a clear penalty. I was like, you know, fine. It's kind of even. It's two bad decisions. Um, I was I was fine with it. A lot of Spurs fans really were quite cross with the decision. Um, but that's fine. You know, football's football's there to make us feel things. So, so do feel things. And one last oh. point before we move on from this, because uh, I kind of wanted to come back to the conversation we we're having about how good we are. And the last point I'll make on that, and I'll be intrigued to see what you both think, is our next seven fixtures. So let me read out to you our next seven fixtures. Oh, God. West Brom away. Man City at home. Chelsea away. Arsenal at home. Crystal Palace away. Liverpool away. Leicester at home. Wolves uh, Wolves away. I, mean, I was going to stop after Leicester, but then I noticed it was Wolves away. I mean, that is a hard fixture. So... We're going to know how good we are after that run of fixtures, which ends on Boxing Day. That is an insanely tough run. I mean, we've had quite a nice opening to the season, really. We've, I mean, we played Man U at a great time. Um, we've had some nice, favourable fixtures along the way. This is an insane run. We're going to know by Boxing Day how good Spurs are, whether they're a genuine title contender or not. What do you think, Bardi? How, how do you think we're going to get on?
0: If we win five and draw two, we're going to win the league. That's what I feel. If, by I, I think we're going to win all seven. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude! <laughs> no, I, I think, I think, I think. If when Leicester won the league, that was an amazing opportunity for Tottenham, which we didn't take. I don't think. I don't. Th- I mean, as Nathan said at the start, there are there are six teams looking at this Premier League title this season. Going, we're not going to get a better opportunity than that than this to win it. And I think. This opportunity is really here for us, and as much as we we take the mick out of Jose, he's the kind of guy you want when it's like this. When you when you've got to scrape through games and you need to make those changes, he's kind of he's he's one of those who likes to get down in the mud and dirty. And I think <laughs> I think we're gonna have to get really muddy in these games, like we did against um, Burnley, like we did against Brighton. So I have I have a lot of faith in us being able to pull other teams into the mire and just kind of stamp on their head and get out of it.
1: It's interesting you mentioned Leicester's uh, title winning side. Are we playing a bit like Leicester's title winning side at the moment? (laughs) Mahrez and Vardy, Kane and Son.
2: Yeah, yeah, a little bit, a little bit.
1: I mean, it's 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 similar. I was really interested to watch uh, Leicester against Leeds on uh, Monday night where Leicester won 4-1 and had like 35% possession mm-hmm. and played load block encounter counter really effectively. Yeah. Are we Leicester now? <laughs> Nathan, what do you think? How do you think we're going to get on?
2: Uh, I'm going to be put into a completely medically unnecessary voluntary coma for seven weeks. That's my my <laughs> plan for... <laughs> uh, no, I don't know. It'll, 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 I, I think that we could probably still, you know... Have middle of the road results over this period and still go on and contend for the title. (laughs) So I don't, I don't, I don't put the same amount of weight into it. Um, which is not to say that it's meaningless and that we can afford to just lose seven in a row or whatever. But, um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's gonna be, it's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be interesting. Uh, we, 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 um, we created two further chances after our contentious uh penalty giveaway not penalty giveaway foul goal conceded words are hard um the first was straight after Bale came on and we had a corner and we Ooh. had an interesting little thing going on from the corner i did a twitter thread and a reddit post about that uh continuing from our our recent corner discourse of which there is a 45 minute video up on patreon uh and then Bale got free
1: for a header which was nice to see so good to see Bale score his first Spurs goals into returning. Lots of, I mean, it was a quality header. He, he planted it. He just oh, yeah. looked so in control. Um, the kind of header that I wouldn't have expected Lamella to score. <laughs> no, that, I mean, that's, that's where Bale is valuable. He is. Even when he's not fit, even when he's not pressing well, even when he looks quite slow, which he sadly does at the moment. Hopefully, that will change. He's got quality in the box. He's got a bit so much ability, and that was really, really pleasing. And the celebration was lovely. Hmm. He just looked so excited. I felt really excited seeing Gareth Bale score for Spurs again. It was a it was a lovely yeah. moment.
2: Yeah, and Regulon with the with the assists. So, right-footed uh, assist, right-footed cutting right-footed back assist. on his right foot. Beautiful. The, the headers is definitely something that he's. Uh, a technique that he's specifically worked specifically worked on in Madrid, and he generates a lot of power from his from his headers nowadays. Which yeah, which uh, from Lamela you will see him sort of uh, fall backwards in a straight line yeah. and
1: send the, the header directly over the crossbar. So he's <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, just a brief discussion on Delhi. I think it's not looking it's not looking great for Delhi. Um, so we didn't mention it in the last pod, but post Antwerp, Jonathan Veal tweeted that Mourinho had declined the chance to analyse delhi's performance against antwerp uh, nathan a clark didn't decline the chance to analyze <laughs> delhi's performance and there was a fantastic video on our x subs on our patreon uh really really good stuff nathan and i thought it showed that delhi was pretty much fine i thought he played at times quite well um, at times definitely he made the wrong decision sure he pressed uh pretty well like compared compared to the rest of the team he was he was leading the press i would say what did you think overall and and, and how sad are you about this situation with Delhi right now
2: uh increasingly i mean i i guess you can say at least it wasn't just him left out of the brighton squad at yeah, least there's true. like there's some um there's some company in the doghouse but um <laughs> I don't know man. He's he's such a talented player and he's not even playing badly, but this is the situation that we're in. He's not even playing, you know, especially badly. He's not playing worse than other non first 11 players. Um but the narrative exists that he's lazy and and wasteful and and so that is what people choose to believe and I find that really annoying, but nonetheless that is the situation.
1: Buddy, there's been some further controversy post match. With an ESPN clip that has gone viral, it was never meant to be aired. Uh, have you seen the clip,
0: buddy? Um, I've seen it. I haven't listened to it. I haven't listened to it all, but I'm, I'm aware of the. Or I'm aware of the, the the tweet and everybody going after them. Nathan, have
1: you have you got the? Uh,
0: do, do you know what was said in
1: this clip?
2: uh yeah okay not off by heart perfectly but they um so this is sort of a non meant to Wear segment the the two presenters mark ogden and i don't know his co-presenter are talking about kane before they're about to do a segment talking about kane and with their producer and they're sort of lamenting having to discuss kane because they find him boring and they they take the piss out well they don't they i mean he Ogden suggests the idea that he would do the next section in his in his Harry Kane impression. And they 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 derise the way that he talks uh, and also how how boring that they find him um she refers to him as a mofo but like that's completely harmless people are buying and reading into that i think that perhaps american people will not because that just means person that's not an, an offensive term um but the way they talk about him generally is offensive to to kane but i think more importantly to other people with speech impediments um And it's quite nasty to, uh, this is something that we as Spurs fans on social media and also elsewhere see the way non-Spurs fans talk about Kane a huge amount, which is they mock his voice. We -hmm. had the incident with Harvey Elliott a couple of years Mm -hmm. ago. We see all sorts of nasty, nasty video impressions of Kane. Um, and it's just it's just really mean and unnecessary. And he doesn't even have a particularly strong speech impediment. Not that that should be the you know the barrier to whether or not he gets mocked. But you know what I mean. Um, so yeah. So then the the clip airs or is posted online. I don't know the exact details of how it's arrived into the public sphere, but um, has kicked off this huge huge reaction. Um, some of it has been quite curious to me because a lot of it has been quite gleeful a lot of it has been yes you're getting sacked uh you know posting images of p45s and this real this real desire for both presenters to lose their jobs that has to be the consequence and there's a real there's been a real sense of joy about getting them them sacked and i find that slightly weird um i'm not saying that that would be even inappropriate um i just think that the focus has been a little weird in places at times but not not as a whole uh, I guess um, Ogden wrote this apology tweet or two tweets and it's really um badly written he he claims that he has the utmost respect for Kane which is so
1: badly written
2: which is completely obviously the opposite of the truth um you know if you're gonna make you know that that's not an apology because it's so blatantly dishonest um he apologizes to uh Kane Spurs Spurs fans and ESPN viewers but not to people with speech impediments which again is for me the sort of the main victim of this having to see this kind of stuff and i apologize for anyone having to listen through this bit of the podcast skip ahead if you if you you know you don't want to hear us talk rattle on about this again you know um i don't know the whole thing is weird but i think that there's this this the, the glee comes from like, yes, we've caught you. We've caught the media in their conspiracy against Kane, which we've always known has existed. And it's this Spurs fans against the world thing where it's like, I mean, yes, obviously this these huge anti-Kane sentiments exist out there in the world. We talked about uh, this contentious or non-contentious uh, penalty decision earlier and the way that arsenal and liverpool fans sort of went off the thing. and it's it's especially a thing with liverpool fans which seems out of place isn't it they really really hate kane because he said that he scored that goal in the golden boot race against salah really childish stuff all around um so liverpool fans have this bizarre warped mentality and sort of other clubs about kane and we seem to have developed it too because when we see someone bad-mouthing kane as someone in a professional position, we're so excited to see there be consequences. Um, and I just think we've got to calm down a little bit. Like, it's okay that people don't like Kane. Their complaint, the two presenters, the complaint that they have about Kane, less about the speech impediment, is that they find him boring. Is that There's nothing interesting to talk about. That comes from the fact that they don't, as people who cover football in football media, they don't talk about football. They talk about Mm. the narratives and the characters, etc. And Kane isn't an interesting character outside of football. He doesn't present particularly interesting narratives, but he's incredibly, incredibly interesting if you look at who he is and how he plays and what he achieves from a footballing perspective. Their shortcoming is that they're not seeing the interesting side of him.
1: I think I'd go one step further and say that the the fact that Kane is boring is the reason people have picked up on his speech impediment. Yeah, that's because true, that's he true. He's he's essentially a completely uncontroversial character. His behaviour is... Pretty much. I mean, there have been a couple of moments where this is not the case, but pretty much across a lengthy career now, his behaviour has been whiter than white. You know, he is. Yeah, he is Mr. Textbook. He is Mr. Rulebook. He is a, a leader, an inspirational talismanic leader for club and country who has broken goal scoring records. Again and, and again and again, and done so whilst being respectful to opponents and 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 very professionals and fans, and been decent off the pitch. Uh, I would like to have seen him do more uh, anti-racism work personally, but the stuff he did sure. with Leighton Orient, for example, was fabulous, and he's done other. He's been involved in other charitable work as well, and so they're looking for something to get him on. We can't have Spurs have this almost perfect talismanic person in their ranks so there's got to be something and they land upon a speech impediment which frankly is just schoolyard bullying yep. and is, is awful and Really deeply unpleasant. And I do think, I do think that Mark Ogden should lose his job off the back of this. That's not to say that he should never work in football again. I mean, he just needs to follow the well-trodden path of Keys and Grey and go and work for Talk Sport and then Al Jazeera and then be in sports. There's a, there's a path already there for him. It's <laughs> yeah. literally, it's been done before. You'll do it again, Ogers, whatever you're called. Uh, I, I think there needs to be punishment. I think he needs to be, he needs to, to realise that this is completely unacceptable. Um, and I don't care whether it was meant to be broadcast or not. Just don't be an asshole. Don't be a nasty, don't be a nasty person when you're in a position of privilege. It's not as if there are sort of so few amazing experts like Mark Ogden willing to step in and, and take up the mantle. You know, we can, we can do away with douchebags because there are so many capable people who can replace him. Um. And so I, I do think he should have lost his job. That's not to say the crime was the worst thing in the world. You know, people make mistakes. People sure. can be foolish and come back from it. And I wouldn't want Ogden's career to be tarnished forever. But that apology was pathetic. It was pathetic. Sorry, Bardi, we've we've not given you a chance once again. Miss, you sat there patiently. Uh, please so have I, your say.
0: I do like your I, I wait can't wait for you to run for parliament and do your tagline would be do away with douchebags vote me in and, um, <laughs> uh, i think uh, there was something that nathan said which i agree with i think it was the glee of like we can right. get him which which was a bit unsavory for me yes he, he's he's an arsehole he shouldn't have done it's unprofessional he should probably lose his job but it was it was the glee at at getting him and a lot of the people that went after him at the start are a lot of people who use the word pamela when they talk about mm. lamella and it's <laughs> Is that Good kind point. of... It's that kind of two faced. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll go. We'll we'll say all these things, but as soon as it's Harry Kane, oh we're gonna get him. We're gonna get this person. And that was what left me with a little bit of taste about it. I didn't get involved in it. I didn't tweet about it, but it was completely unprofessional. And I don't, I don't know Ogden, and that apology was really badly written. But as someone who's who's made a mistake on Twitter and done things that sh- said things that sh- they shouldn't have done, I know, it, I know it can happen. But it was the glee that left uh, that that didn't sit right with me.
1: I think it's a really good point. I think it's a really good point. And I think, you know, I social justice for me is important, uh, but it's clearly not important for, for many Spurs fans, except when it's against... When it can be weaponised. When it's a, around a Tottenham issue. You know, there, there are more prominent issues that deserve just as much energy, just as much attention as this. And I think you're right to point that out.
2: So it's not just Ogden's jobs that they want, though they also, and I've forgotten her name, I apologise, but the, the name of his black female co-presenter, which I think who's who, you know who's obviously not as big a name in sport and hasn't had as, as long a career and everything else which which sits slightly less comfortably with me um which is not that she's innocent she was every bit mm. as guilty as him of of mocking him um and, and his speech impediment etc um, but i just feel slightly uncomfortable because she isn't going to get to go on talk sport and al jazeera and, and be in i don't think if she were to lose a job i think she'd be in in a much more precarious position So I'm slightly less comfortable trying to hound her out of the industry entirely.
1: Okay. I think we've done that to death, haven't we? But I mean, it's interesting. It's really interesting. Uh, then we had Pochettino on Monday night football, which, (laughs) ah, Okay, so here's here's where I am on that. Last time Pochettino was on on Sky, he did an interview, didn't he? Um, not that long after, not that long after losing his job, and people were losing their mind about it and being mm. and just like missing him so much. And I really didn't get it at all. I was like, why is everyone going so mad about this? Why is everyone like going so crazy for this man? I, I, at that point, I was annoyed with him still for how poorly I felt what he'd done in the last six months a year at Spurs. This time, I 100% got it, and um, watching him made me pine for him so much, and I really, really enjoyed seeing him interviewed, I really enjoyed getting his thoughts um i enjoyed him talking about his time off how he'd like fallen in love with his family i thought it was really lovely and just made me remember what a a decent human being he is and how much i loved him being manager of spurs um plus it brought back all the memories of you know some of the amazing amazing times we had with him as our manager um buddy have you have you caught his interview on monday night football and what did you make of seeing him again
0: yeah, I watched all the pre-match stuff. I didn't, I didn't stay up late. It was way past my bedtime to watch all the kind of post-match stuff. I did think it was kind of sly on Sky to bring him in to watch his mentor get absolutely smashed by that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that wasn't very nice. But, you know, it was nice to see him, nice to hear from him. Uh, I don't really pine too badly for, like, ex-players and ex-managers. And like you, I, I'm, still, I'm still a bit upset about how it ended and the kind of missed opportunities we had under him. But it, it was nice to see he's doing okay. I mean, he was never not going to do okay. He's, he he did walk away from Spurs with many millions in his pocket. So, uh, but yeah, it was nice. No, it was nice to see him. I'm not going to get too too emotional over him. Although although at the time I was just like, oh, look at his face. There he is. It's good to see. How, it's good to see he's doing well. His hair's looking great as well. It's
1: uh, it's it's thick and long. Mm. Um, Nathan, just like we w- like it. Yeah, <laughs> I was trying to avoid making that joke. Uh-huh. Um, Nathan, what do you make of? Poch's appearance, and do you think he's going to come back at some point?
2: Uh, yeah, so I had the sort of the big emotive reaction to the when he was on TV before, uh, and then this time I was like, "Oh wow, he's going to be on. He's going to be on Monday Night Football, where they where they analyse football."
0: Hmm. Poch, you
2: know, you know, always, always in his press conferences, very, very withheld. You know, very hmm. rarely said anything insightful or interesting. But he's going to, you know, he's not. In a job right now, he's not analysing a team that he's currently at. We're gonna we're gonna get some insight from Pochettino, and then it was just like completely brushed away. Every possible <laughs> chance he had to sort of talk about, it, he'd be like, "Yeah, well, you know, you got to take risks." Let's move on to the next question. And so he then talks about sort of stories and, and character, etc. So I was a, I was, uh, and that continued, you know, either side of the game and a half times. So I was a little. little frustrated that we didn't get some more sort of analysis from Pochettino, but I guess I was being optimistic with that. Do I think he'd ever come back to Spurs? Uh, Maybe, maybe I wouldn't want out.
0: There was a a couple of Jose moments where he did talk about personality and bravery. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, he's he's, he's just, he's a young Jose. Do you do you think that
1: perhaps he didn't? Um, do you think perhaps he didn't go too analytical because it was Bielsa and because he didn't want to kind of give away the secrets?
2: Yeah, to an extent, but then I always think uh, that's the excuse that he gets to use. But he just he's not about. Doing that kind of analysis publicly at all—is he? That's the nice his
0: yeah. thing. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. It would have been interesting to see him talk through Tottenham's the best Tottenham team that we had and how they played and how that can compare to Bielsa and that kind of stuff. But you, Nathan's right. We didn't get any of that. It, a lot of it was just meandering conversations about about nothing really. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't the insightful thing that I was hoping for.
1: Right. I'm going to make an executive decision. We're not going to do questions, but. Questions from Ken Ward, David Holland, Jaffer Mother, Motherheadie, Stephen Lash, and Mercy Merman will be on next week's podcast. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for the production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his soundcloud, E Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.
2: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer.